Welcome to the Airflow Podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Thomas, and this is the place where Kingdom heirs go to be informed and inspired. So sit back, relax, and flow with me. What's going on, Airflow family? Welcome to another episode of the Airflow Podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Thomas. Uh, hope everybody's been having a great week. Uh, today, I have a special guest. His name is Dr. Martin Burgess. He's a husband, a father, educator, and also newly um, became an author. So uh, we want to welcome Dr. Burgess to the show. Dr. Bart Burgess, thank you for joining us today. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Anytime, sir. Anytime. So I know one of the things that's always interesting to me is when I talk to educators and, um, you know, I'm very interested as, you know, one of the the mountains that we're supposed to claim from the kingdom standpoint is education. And, you know, I've seen your passion um, in in being an educator. So it's always intriguing, especially with times changing. Um, You know, you and I are on the same age. So I know things in the educational system is definitely different. So I, I want to touch upon that. But um, you are, as I mentioned, a husband. You've been married for how long now? It'll be 19 years in May. 19 years and they still together. <laughs> Father of two boys. Um, let's see. I know Naaman just turned, what, 16? 17. 17. 17. Gosh. <laughs> Y'all getting old, man. And Martin's uh, like, you know, 18, 19, he's, 19. He's 19. 19. Man, what you going to do? That's what uh, uh, what do you, you mean? What my wife and I going to do? Yeah, what are y'all going to do now? Because you got, you about to be empty nested soon. I just thought about that. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, I'm going to chase my wife around the house, man. Hey, <laughs> make it do what it do. I'm not mad at you. Sure. That's cool, though. But yeah, two great boys. I know you guys uh, definitely marriage is blessed and and I've seen you guys just continue to grow. Um, And and I guess in your journey in becoming a a teacher and and I want to talk about that because I in in looking through this, I never really thought about it before. But there is a big difference between teacher and educator. So we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit. But, you know, what what inspired you to get into just Edu- the education field to begin with? Well, um, since we're being very candid here, I had no intentions of being a teacher, actually. Okay. Um, when I went to MTSU uh, to, to pursue my degree, I initially went to uh, school to become a uh, physician. Okay. Uh, I wanted to go to uh, internal medicine, and I ran into a class uh, called comparative comparative anatomy of vertebrae, and uh, first oh, test right. I got. Well, <laughs> that's that's an understatement, brother. Uh, <laughs> I took the first test, got a thirty percent on it. That's out of a hundred. And uh, he gave me a chance to take the test again. I took it again. I this, the second time I studied harder than I did the first time, and I got a fifty. And uh, and so I had to really come. Uh, I had to really think about, is this something I want to pursue? And it, it, I, I said, nah, this ain't worth it. It it caused a lot of stress for me, so I let it go. And uh, uh, one of my professors, uh, advisors, 
uh, said, have you thought about teaching? Uh, now, my mom has taught for 30, 35 years. So That's I knew so. what she, yeah, so she, I knew what she went through. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that. But once I, once I got into the program, um, I, I, I found that it was really cool. So it was kind of in your blood a little bit. You just were, you didn't want to do it at first, but when you got to doing it, you, you saw like, this might be my thing right here. This might be my niche. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Summed up pretty well. Um, I'm the only one of my siblings that actually went into the, the arena of education. Okay. And it is funny because, you know, you say you wanted to be a, a physician at first and then you go into, I mean, it's a stark difference when we talk about going from a, a, a physician, a doctor to a, a teacher, um, especially when you look at the salary analysis of it and uh, <laughs> a huge difference. Um, you know, so it's just interesting that that you did that. But, you know, as we'll talk further, it was it's been worth it, obviously. But um yeah, was it like a shock for your for your family when you changed? Um, that's a good question. Um, my mom was actually surprisingly, my mom didn't want me to go into education. Really? Uh, yeah. Now nah, <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Like, all right. So here's the story. So uh, my my mother, as a as an educator, she she said it's a very un, underappreciated profession. And uh, there's a lot of stress that, con- that can come w- with it, depending on where you work, who your uh, principal is and your coworkers and whatnot, just like any other job. Right. But, the, but the, it's, the, uh, it's the outside stuff, the, uh, the political stuff that gives more of the pressure on teachers, um, educators, teachers and uh, staff. Because um, and, and we may go into this later, but there's a lot of politicians that make rules that have nothing to do with education. And it puts impact it squeezes um uh it squeezes educators to start wondering why did they get into it because of all of the other nonsense that I have to do with education that has nothing to do with the actual betterment of the kid yeah and so yeah so that that's I mean every teacher has gone into education for students they 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 want to be impactful to their students and want to change the culture of whatever school they're in it's the other stuff that's outside of that that bothers them. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's always a lot of bureaucracy and red tape and stuff that gets in the way, especially, you know, we and we were going to talk about this. We can get into this now, um, you know, yeah. from, from the, the education standpoint, it's interesting because we talk about and you hear it a lot, even politicians, they mentioned it, and I'm not putting all on politicians, but just in general, you always hear about how important the role of teachers are in our society. But we don't seem to value them monetarily and even just the overall support. So it's it's hard. And I you're, I mean, you're not the only teacher that I've spoken with. I mean, I have several friends who are teachers and they all tell the same story, um, especially when you're in the public sector. So you're you've been mainly in the public school sector. Is that correct? Yes. My entire career has been in public school. Yes. So how long? So how long has that been? Uh, I'm in my 16th year. So you've been in the 16 years. Your mom was in it 30, how many years? Six. Is she in? 36 six. years. So she's retired now, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. 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 So 36 years she was in, you know, you were in 16 years. And, and it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys have the same story in terms of how you feel about teaching and, or not teaching, but the, the, the everything that comes with it, the, the pressures, the stress and all of that. You guys seem to have that same mindset with it. Is that correct? My mom and I. 
Yes. Yes. You see her point of view now that you've been in it for some time, you know, where she was warning you about, you see it. <laughs> um, yes. But, you know, and, and I, I'm saying that because it's interesting. You've been in it for 16 years and you said that most educators get in it for the students. So it just talks, it tells me the passion that you have for educating and empowering our youth. But you know, there's so many teachers and educators like you who have walked away or just quitting, going into other things, changing their fields because they don't have the support. Obviously, there are some other things that are going on with, you know, kids not having support from home or getting support from parents. So there's there's other aspects of it now more than it's ever been. Um, but it's just it, it's just kind of disheartening because you have people who are really passionate about wanting to come in and, 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 and educate, not just teach, because they're, you know, teaching and educating is two different things. And so from your perspective, I want to talk about that, you know, because I see you, you, you always listed your educator from your perspective, what's the difference between an educator and a teacher? Okay. Um, that, that's a, man, you asking good questions. All right. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So a teacher, and I don't want to offend anyone, but Hey, you know, no, I mean, you know, it's, it's your perspective. Hey, I, I, Hey, I'm good. I'm hey, I'm good, man. So 16 years in, you 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 are an expert <laughs> at this point. So you know, speak. Yeah. On. All right. So teachers, essentially, teachers are um, they know the material, they can give you the material, but they don't have the uh, the art of of how to give the material. Uh, teaching uh, teaching is an art form, and um, how you give information to people and adjust your way of seeing their view to get them to understand it is an art form. And not every person uh, understands how to do that. For instance, in college, I have a lot of teachers, professors, a lot of teachers, and some of them don't really know how to teach. They have information, they can give it to you, right. but they don't know how to relay it all that well. Whereas mm -hmm. an educator knows how to reach the student at a point where they, uh, at a point of their need to help them understand the information even if it means adjusting their tactic as a as an educator or as a teacher to fit their audience, and yeah. so that takes that takes skill, that takes effort, that takes understanding the person, and um, and teaching really doesn't do that. That's just giving you information and expecting you to take that information and using it to to uh, to excel in a in a course or pass a test or something like that. So educators are 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 skilled tacticians at what they do. Um, if so, if I if I had to bring this down to it, I would say <clears throat> that a, a teacher is a person <clears throat> is a if if I'm taking it in a military term, um, a teacher is one as a foot soldier that knows how to take care of their business. You know, they carry their their uh, M16 or whatever. But a educator is a is a is a sharpshooter. They know exactly where to hit. Know exactly what to do and when to do it. So, I, I don't know if that. No, I mean no. I, I think because I did some, you know, looking up because I was like, you know, there obviously there is there is a difference, and I was like, well, let me look it up because I've never really looked it up before. And one of the things that that I saw was that you know um, teachers teach that when they teach they instruct. Educators kind of give the intellectual, moral, and so social instruction. So it's more than just instructing you on the specific assignment. It's it's more than just that. Um, it's encouraging growth versus the teachers just kind of meeting goals. So 
you know, mm-hmm. it, it's more in depth. Like and you said, it's an art form. And, you know, that that is something that is true because you with with art, with everything else, you have to adapt times. You have to adjust. And like you said, meet the, the, the students needs where they where they are. Um, and I think that might be some of the frustration with children today, because I think some you have some teachers who don't adapt, who don't adjust, who aren't looking at it from an art form perspective. And they're not reaching the kids because they're still teaching the same way they did back in 1980 something, you know. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it's it, it's sad because I think, you know, from the students perspective, they're missing out on a lot. And it's not because. You know, it doesn't mean the teacher is bad. It's just there there isn't a connection there. Um, I always liken it to a coach. You know, a, a good coach is always able to get the most out of their players because they mm-hmm. it's not just they have a certain they have certain levels of things that they tolerate. They have things that they accept. And, you know, but they also have to understand that they have to adjust. They have to adapt. They have to understand right. the way the world is and the way kids are. So if you think about a program like Duke. And Coach K just, you know, he's retiring this year. He's been coaching for like ever, like almost 50 years or something crazy like that. <laughs> you know, and you say, well, how does a how does a person like that last all that long and, and be successful? Not just last a long time, but be successful. And and you know, he mentioned that one of the things that he was always able to do or he had to learn how to do was adjust. There were certain things that he just wasn't going to tolerate and he kept a fine line there. But he had to understand that times were changing and to compete, you have to and to compete and to reach these kids at different levels. You have to get to them, understand them, build relationships and things like that versus just I'm just delivering. Here's the playbook. You follow this or you're not going to play. And this is it. You know, same thing with teaching. You know, I know even when I was in school, if a teacher just handed me a syllabus, says, here's your syllabus. And, you know, I'll go over some stuff in class and that's it. There's no connection. I wasn't really interested in that class. You know, and I'm sure you've experienced that as a teacher, you know, or, or in being in school, learning and going through that process. So, um, you know, talk about that. What, what are your feelings on, you know, teachers who teach versus those who actually are preparing like they don't use the same lesson plan year in, year out? You know, they're cha- always adjusting things. Um, you know, what's hmm. your take on that? Well, um, OK. Uh, OK, so. When I when I first got into teaching, um, I I wasn't I didn't understand how to how to teach. Um, I had to learn trial by fire, um, mm-hmm. and um, I had to. I went into a school, and I'm gonna get to your answer. Yeah. Uh, I went to a school where I had to uh, uh, I had to basically get order first because they ran the other teacher out, throwing stuff at him and whatnot. Uh, uh, inner city school in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And um, um, come to find out that he was he had a he had a doctorate. My understanding of it, he had a doctorate, and um, and he taught um, uh, I want to say physical science if I remember right. And uh, so they ran him out of there because he never tried to have any relationship with the students. And when I came into the classroom, one of the first things I did is I wanted to know who they were. I wanted to know where they were from. Uh, I wanted to know uh, if they had siblings there. I wanted to know. Uh, if they had both parents in the home, along with the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And what the students started doing was connecting to me as a person. And when I did that, they, they were able to hear from me as a, as a teacher. When I, when I see teachers, especially new ones coming in or old ones who have kind of 
I, I, I kind of gotten to the point where they don't want to do it anymore. You know, uh, they've kind of become jaded. When you see those uh, student, those teachers in those positions, uh, in those situations, it really is detrimental to the student. And it, it upsets me to the point where I'm like, you know, uh, there are other things you can do with your life if you don't want to do this anymore. Um, it's not just a paycheck. You know, when you're looking at little Susie who's struggling in mathematics and you got Miss Johnson who can reach her and she's doing well in that mathematics. And then she comes to a English class where the teacher just says, sit down, take the syllabus and do your work. Well, as you said, then she's going to have a connection to this math teacher, whereas English is going to be she's falling behind. And the teacher sometimes will put the onus on the student saying, hey, you're not doing your job, blah, blah, blah. Well, we got to make connections. You got to make connections. Now, there are times we make connections and the student still doesn't do right. That's that's kind of the job. Um, and, and I can see, I mean, I, in every situation, it's just like managing people at work. You know, you, you can make all the connections being a manager and you just have people who are going to do what they want to do. And then there's, you know, there's consequences to that, you know, on that side. But, you know, like you mm-hmm. said, it, you know, the, the goal is always to try to make the connection, you know, have to at least make the attempt. It's look. All right. So I taught in some of the toughest schools in Nashville. Okay. And uh, I'm not going to try to give you my, my whole dossier, but I, I worked at, um, I worked at one school in particular, um, uh, Maplewood high. And, uh, at the time when I was there is one of the toughest schools in Nashville. And, um, I used to live like maybe 20 minutes from there. Um, uh, not far from there, I lived in the same neighborhood that kids grew up or kids that went there. Um, uh, so, so I understood where they were coming from. And um, without making connection with them, they can smell crap from a, from a teacher a mile away. And yeah. they're going to give them, they're going to give them the business. And it's going to be a really long year. But when you actually are real with them, um, they appreciate that a whole lot more and they'll receive from you. Okay. So uh, as an educator, I've had to learn how to, how to, uh, talk down people, how to, how to, um, how to encourage people, how to bring them back to themselves. I had to learn all of those things and change who I am to fit the kid that I have. It is not an easy thing to do. Um, but if you're, if you're willing to put in the work and see the change in the, in a kid that is worth, is worthwhile. Um, so yeah. Now, now that, you know, from, the work that you're doing and you, you realize that, you know, which is good, but does the school system invest in teachers in terms of continuous learning modules, things like that, to keep them fresh and updated with different, uh, I guess, equipping them with tools and techniques of how to, you know, adjust with today's times, you know, is that something that is usually made available? Is yes, but it's slow. Um, and the education system is very, very slow. Um, for instance, well, you saw in the COVID year how how uh, chaotic it was for teachers and students and whatnot to try to go distance learning. Well, colleges have been doing that for years. We don't we don't have the technology ready to deal with stuff like that. Um, I, I did a I did a study quite some quite a few years ago that talked about the history of uh, of education in the United States, and really the original form of education was supposed to be like um, both more Socratic where you talk to the kids, the kids talk back to you, you share your life experiences, they get that, and they still can get all the uh, curriculum information from the 
that the the teacher from uh from a uh a a a natural point of view or or a life point of view. Well, when the industrial revolution kicked in, we the education system came to more of a I need you to do this, this, and this to fit a person coming into like a assembly line where you got to learn how to follow instructions, do this, do this, do this. And it, and it, and it, I don't think it's ever come out of that. And so, um, in some regards, um, what we have to do as, as, as educators is, um, we have to take what, what is given to us the way the, we have to take what the, 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 um, system is giving us and how to teach, what to teach and all that and make it fit our kids, regardless of the technology we have. Because we did, I, I don't think, I don't honestly believe that the, that the technology is going to keep up. Um, we're so far behind. Uh, and um, uh, for instance, <laughs> I'm sorry to laughing, man, but we have these laptops, man, and they're Chromebooks. And um, Chromebooks are, as you know, very limited. Yeah, they are. And so, so um, that's what we have as 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 students. Now we do have them in our in our classroom, but they're Chromebooks. They're not laptops. Um, we just got those this year or last year. We just got them at yeah. at Laverne High School, and Laverne High School has been in existence since 1980 something. We just got laptops in classrooms last year. Yeah, that. And I, I think, again, that's why I've had questions of why did I, you know, what what reason did I pull my kids out of public school, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, the public schools that zone that we were in for the high school, I mean, it, it's a good high school, but there's just disadvantages, you know? Um, and one of the things I was going to say to you, as you mentioned, you know, kind of having an assembly line approach to how kids are being treated in, in the system today for especially yep. mostly public schools, you know, one of the things we liked about the private school that we moved our kids into is the fact that the teacher student ratio is low. So mm -hmm. your teachers and students can have that more, you know, it's like 10 to one or less. So if you got 10 kids to one teacher, you can have more moments of that one on one interaction and, and building that, um, you know, building the relationship with the kids. You know, it, it does make it challenging from people that I've talked to and I'll get your take on it when you've got 35 kids per class that you teach and you know you got class sizes of like a thousand kids in there it's like well how do you make connections when the school is just full and you don't really you can't really take the time to get to everybody you want to get to you know so what, what are your thoughts on that well student teacher ratio is, has gotten better over the years um mm -hmm. when i first started teaching uh i had a class i had a class where i had 37 students in there wow. <laughs> like a college class <laughs> yeah it was it was it was busting out the seams man and uh it was a very stressful environment and um it was really hard to to reach kids and there were kids i didn't reach right. there's no possible way i could i could do that and now we've we've gotten better where some of the classes i have are uh 16 17 um but they're they're esl students or they have ieps where their learning disabilities their language barriers caused me to have to have, spend a little bit more time with them. Hmm. So I had to move a little slower. Uh, and I'm supposed to have like a, um, a teacher aide, but because of the whole substitute teaching issue, 
that we can't get subs in there. My teacher A has to cover classes from time to time. So I don't really have that. So it's 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 a it's just the whole thing is just a I mean it's it's not a great situation. Um but the, the ratio has gotten better. Um, that's good to hear. I mean it's improving, but yeah. I want to I want to I want to see say something about what you said and I and I uh, and I and I can really appreciate that um, for years uh, it was a it was a a thought with public uh, educators versus private educators and how um, how there was such a difference and da 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 really um, anyone who has a desire to go into the 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 private sector or take their kids into the private school. There are strong advantages there, and I can't hate on that. That's just something that is a true statement. Um, something that we have to that as 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 a as a uh, as an educator, we got to be okay with that. Saying, look, it's it's, it's their prerogative and it's an advantage for their kids, because not everybody has that opportunity. And if you do have that opportunity, man, it's best to take it. Because um, I've been asked that before. Like, what do you think about private school versus public schools? Um, yeah, there there's there's a there's a lot more freedom. At a private school that a public school just does not have and it has um there are some advantages to being in a private school that a public school just doesn't have i mean and that's it, just it, the truth yeah i mean it's a private sector i mean there's certain things that they don't have to deal with but it comes at a premium to parents because you have to pay for it so you know <laughs> it, it's it's definitely not a free thing but you know it, it has its pros and cons you know and and that's why I would always go back to the fact that there, there are great public school systems. There are great public schools. There are great teachers, educators that are in these schools. Um, and some of them choose to stay in the public sector just because they feel like they can get closer with the inner city kids, help out in that community and really be a part of that. So, um, you know, for me, that's why I, I look at, you know, someone like you who's been doing it for a while and you can really see the, the passion in, in you teaching. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, now we're starting to see more and more people move away from teaching. People are becoming very frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and these are people who are passionate educators. They're just like, I can't do this anymore. So, you know, from your perspective, how does that make you feel 16 years in a game, very passionate about, you know, working with students and you're seeing, things on the news where schools are closing because teachers are like, I'm done, you know, and they don't have enough to, to come in and, and help. I, I just talked about this today, actually with a coworker of mine um, at, at uh, in Rutherford County, which I could speak to. Um, there are over 100 plus openings as far as teachers, a hundred plus openings. That's crazy. That, that happens from time to time, but not at this rate. And this early now we're in what, what are, where are we in March? Mm-hmm. There's already a hundred plus in March. Wow. Normally the, the numbers get higher around April when, when, uh, when teachers are kind of, you know, trying to figure out where they want to go. But yeah, it's, it's already a hundred plus in, in March, which means that the numbers should go up by the time May hits. And um, is this mostly teachers or is it teachers no, administrators no, it's all across the board? Just teachers. teachers, man. Yeah, wow. yeah, teachers. Because there's another section you can look at for actual administrators. This is teachers. Wow. Um, and um, they are leaving the profession um, for various reasons. Some of them because it's not what they thought it was. Uh, some because the administration they don't not get along with it. But the overwhelming majority, 
that I've that I've learned about from talking to some of them is um, it's just the lack of support from from parents, from community. And, you know, after COVID, when COVID hit, it exposed a lot. And yeah, I want to get into that, that too. <laughs> it exposed a lot. And teacher was like, you know what? You can have this. I, I don't get paid enough for this. I'm out. And that's unheard of. At, and this is not just a Tennessee thing. This is a, a nationwide crisis. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it all around. Nation. I mean, it, it's on national news. I mean, you're seeing, I mean, literally teachers walking out like, throwing up their hands like I'm done. Um, it, it's I say it's crazy, but, you know, that they're just leaving the profession, not leaving the school system, but just leaving the profession that they've worked at, built a reputation mm-hmm. on. And, and a lot of them are passionate. I mean, that's the thing that I want to, you know, kind of get rid of that or debunk that myth that, you know, teachers nowadays don't care because you, you kind of get that narrative thrown out there. I'm like, no, teachers care but they're up against so many things. It's hard. You got to, you know, if you're stressed out, depressed, if you're feeling beat down, I mean, just like anybody else with a job, you're going to want to get out of that profession or get out of that environment as much, as much as you can. Cause you know, as a teacher, I don't want to, I don't want anybody teaching my kids if they have mental health struggles, you know, <laughs> and, and that's just being real. I mean, you know, I, I don't, you know, just like you don't want a pilot <laughs> flying the plane and they're struggling with their mental health and you never know, you know, it, it, you just don't want that. Um, and I think that's why now and this is what I was going to lead to with the whole pandemic. How do you think the pandemic has shifted the educational system? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, OK. Um. I believe that. Um, in the education arena, they expected things to go back to normal. Uh, whereas um, high stakes testing, um, teachers would still have the same, as you've used the term passion to do what they do. Because um, we got some love for a while when schools were closed saying, you know, teachers are so important, blah, blah, blah. We felt, we felt that love that lasted about what, good four months. And then it was like, hey, you know, get back in there. And so I believe that everybody expected things to be the same, but there's no such thing anymore. Um, There is a new norm. And I don't believe that um, the powers that be understand this. And um, they're still putting the same amount of pressure on teachers in a position where uh, it's not, it's unnecessary struggle. You know what I'm saying? Like right now, we shouldn't be thinking about high stakes testing. Just shouldn't. EOC shouldn't matter to us, but the end of course exam shouldn't matter. ACTs, I get that because that's a college thing. But state testing should not matter at all. Why? Or whatever it is now. None of that should matter. They say, you know what? We're just trying to maintain our teachers' sanity. So let's give them the most support. And the best support they could give is taking some of the load off. We're in crisis mode, but we're still trying to we still trying to move the, the vehicle forward. But the engines that are making the, the, the thing go, the educators are struggling, which means that the boat and the vehicle is not moving well and no one wants to address it. And so um, when you hear on the news that teachers are walking out or whatnot, and we are. And it, 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 I even, 
I'll, I'll be transparent with you. I even thought about coming out the out of the uh, profession, um, and I, I apply for uh, learning and development positions at different companies. You know, which is sad. To see. <laughs> I, it's sad because I know how passionate you are and how good of a teacher that you are. So to hear someone like you saying, "I'm ready to go," you know, I'm I'm tired of it. That. <laughs> That just it just paints a, a kind of a grim picture on our system, you know, the educational system as a whole, just to hear this. So wow. And I don't know how it's gonna be fixed. Honestly, honestly, I, I'm thinking that uh, I, I think, and this is me speaking, I believe that teachers are fed up with the status quo and that no one has an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, and and since no one has an answer, we're like, you know, I, I just go somewhere else. Even even if it's a job I don't really love, I'll get paid more. At least that will satiate my discomfort. You know, yeah. like if I looked at into a, a job for uh, um, uh, learning and development and they make like some of them make like six figures. And I'm like, yo, man. <laughs> so <laughs> I may not I, I would have to travel like uh, I want to say the job I applied to. I didn't get it, by the way, but the job I applied to would have said I, I tried to travel by forty percent of my of my uh, of the of the job. I was travel by forty percent as long as COVID was not restricted. Mm-hmm. And I talked to my wife and I said, "What do you think about that?" And she said, "I don't know." But then she saw the numbers. They were talking about paying one hundred thirty five thousand dollars a year. Well, you don't mind traveling forty percent if you make one hundred thirty five. Yeah, that's like <laughs> so, well. Now that, <laughs> let's let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> so. Is it's a different thing, man, and um, they don't have answers. And so here's here's what they decided to do with this. And you, since you're since you asked me, man, I know all this stuff, man. I'm gonna give it to you. No, that, that's uh, what I want to hear. Uh, they decided to give, um, and this is Rutherford. They're giving um, five thousand dollar bonuses and certain positions in teaching to 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 come into the education pro, education arena. They've also uh, created a program to to uh, to get um, uh, EAs, which is uh, educational assistants, to be licensed to teach. It's a program that speeds up their process to come into the classroom. But what they have not done is done anything to help maintain the ones they got. I was going to say, so they get you in the door. They, they want to get you in the door. Yeah, so it's it's like rebuilding a basketball team by getting draft picks. <laughs> that typically doesn't work. <laughs> and then not giving them the tools to grow and develop and things like no. that. No, uh, you do you you don't want a whole cl- a whole building full of rookie teachers, do you? No, no. <laughs> and and to be honest, some of them may because they come in with fresh eyes and they may be gung ho. So it, it it's good to have balance. You know, you have kind of your veteran teachers, just like any like a team. You know, you have your veteran players, you've got your rookies and you put them together and you can build something special, you know, with that, because you've got some folks who've been in the trenches and you got people who are like, you know, full of energy and they're ready to do a lot of things and take over the world. So when you have that balance, it's great. Um, But I, I guess just going back to one of the things you mentioned about with with the standardized testing and correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of that standardized testing, you know, is what determines the some of the money that schools receive. Is that correct? You are a very astute man. Actually, you are in the minority understanding this stuff. OK, so I, I'm glad you did your you did your homework, sir. All right. Standardized testing it, it is still doing what it initially was supposed to do. 
it is 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 really to 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 set up how much money goes where. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, like for instance, uh standardized testing says that, and based off of standardized testing and uh um uh, the earnings of family that go there, uh this the uh um I can't blame blanket on the word I'm looking for, but how much your parents as a collective earn uh as far as in the kids. Not poverty level. That's not the word I'm looking for. Household but, income or something like that. Y- yes, yeah, something like that. Where okay. you had to do free, free and reduced lunch. Right. Those two things together. If you have low scores and you have a high free and reduced lunch, then you have what is called a. Uh, you can potentially have what is called a Title One school, and a Title One school can get more funding to help bring those kids up to to the learning levels that they need. Whereas if you have a school like Central, who doesn't have high. Um, uh, free or reduced lunch area, and they have really high learners. They don't get as much money uh, to do things uh, that they want. However, here's the caveat: with Title One money, they tell you what you can and cannot do. Okay, and whereas like Central doesn't have to worry about that. There are no governing bodies over them saying you got to do this, 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 and this, and this. Have you tried this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Their scores are fine, so they leave you alone. Okay. Not all money is good money. So Title yeah. One is good. Yeah, Title One is good to have, but you got a lot of stuff. When you got that, you got more of the superintendents coming to your building. You got the mayor coming to your building. You got uh, all these things you must do to maintain that money. And if you don't, you can get it snatched away. The teachers have to make sure that the kids that fill out the free and reduced lunch forms, all the rest of that stuff. It's just a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a racket, man. <laughs> so Sounds like it. Wow. State testing. Um, technically doesn't need to exist at all. Um, they do that to, to do what you said as far as the money and to grade schools. Okay, The school's yeah. grade is based off of the state test. And the, the, the lower the scores are getting, the less effective that school is. But it's a lie. Okay, It's just numbers. It's a lie. You, can't, you cannot say a school is not effective based off of a score by itself. You have to look at the whole scope of things. Are kids growing? Are they thriving as far as socially emotional? Um, are they are they being are they doing well with with uh, interaction with other students? They may not be academically astute because that sometimes happens. Because you look at a standardized test, you got to think about it. What if a person just came from another country? They still got to take the same test. Right. They're not going to do as well as a person that lived in this country all their lives. Yeah. But the numbers will say that they that they should have. Now, like Laverne High gets a lot of growth, and growth is that we take them from low to higher than they were. But you, as the parent, would never know that. All you will see is that we're shooting, we're shooting below where all the other schools are. Mm-hmm. They don't tell you about growth, you know. Gotcha. And but you look at Central, you're like, well, Central must be really good. Um, Stewart's Creek may be really good. Blackman may be really good, depending on the scores. But you don't. You're just only seeing a part of the picture. And a lot of times, those scores is, I mean, honestly, is where how people look at. Do I want to move into that district? Do I want my kid to go to that school? Because they look at that's that exactly. score. That's um, exactly what it is. Which is interesting. And, it, and just thinking about that, because I, I was, you know, my wife and I were talking about, um, you know, how I think it was two years ago before the pandemic started. You know, that last year, I guess, 2019. Um, that last, that full school year ended in 2019. And, um, you know, Christian, our youngest, 
his teacher was basically, you know, we had a long conversation with her, you know, and he was like in third grade or something. And the question we had, you know, is why were the schools having to focus so much the latter part of the year? Like everything was focused on preparing for the, I guess, TN ready. It's not TN right. ready. That's right. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, are you learning this, learning that? Well, yeah. She said, we tailor our, she, and this is what she said. She said, we tailor our, our classes to the first part of the year is just kind of, you know, we, we take some time to do work, you know, go over things from last year, kind of, you know, reviewing some stuff. We take some time to teach them things that they need to know for that grade level. But by the time they come back from Christmas break, you know, towards the middle of third quarter or something around there, all of our focus from there until pretty much the end of the year when they take the test is the TCAP or Tennessee Ready. That's right. That's right. and it, it is not necessarily things that are preparing them to go to the next grade level. It's just things that are going to help them to score well on that test. Yep. Um, and it was crazy. It was like to the point where we had to ask her, it was like, so should we, you know, go out there, get get worksheets and different things to that that's focusing on third grade work to prepare and fourth grade stuff to prepare him because she and she was like, yeah, because our focus stuff that he's going to be learning is stuff that fifth graders may learn. You know, some of that Tennessee ready stuff is stuff that they may never really see in the cl- and that we would normally teach. Um, mm-hmm. But we have to teach these things. We have to prepare them. We're, we're being forced to do it. So I thought that was very disheartening because you're not really preparing your kids to move on. You're preparing them to take a test. And that test is is only for the benefit of the school to continue to make money, which, you know, I want teachers to get paid and all that good stuff. I don't want schools to close. But they're they're like, we're forced to have to do this. We have no choice. This is what we've been told to do. And I thought that was just so disheartening to hear that that's where we're at today. You know, we're we're governed by standardized testing and those scores is what determines, like you said, determines how effective the school is. Um, Yeah, I mean, therein lies the truth, sir. Um, (laughs) I I have when I when I did my dissertation, one of one of the things I said was standardized testings have standardized tests have always been one biased and two ineffective in showing the growth of a student because um, when you take we are taking a test like an a ten ready or an EOC or even ACT you're taking it you're taking a test based off of what you understand that you you've accumulated from from years years until that point. And um, but one day you could have a bad day or you could have not eaten that morning or whatever. And that one time can show a glimpse of what a student knows, but it doesn't take in consideration what they went through that day or whatever. Right. Um, standardized testing um, is a is a farce. And if it can be gotten rid of, as you, as you know, it's been it's been in existence even when we was in school. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is very archaic. The best way to know if a student knows something is to either have them teach it to someone else or to build it. That's the, really the way to know if someone knows the material. Okay. Not by a test. Okay. It's not a test. Not the, the matter of fact. Okay. Let me ask you a question. If everyone got a driver's license, oops. Okay, if everyone got a driver's license based off of the idea that, sorry, if everyone got a driver's license based off of the idea of passing a test but never drive a car, how well would people do well on the streets? Probably not well. 
You got to perform. Right. You got to you got to have some kind of performance that says, hey, I know how to do this. Right. That's the problem. We, we have not gotten to the point where education says performance based. It's still standards based and uh, not standards based, but test based. OK, we can we can say whatever we want to say, but that's what it is. Yeah. And I so, mean, I know for a fact that there are there are some kids who are not they, they do great in in homework and assignments, classwork, labs and everything else. And they get to a test and they may not be the best test takers, especially when it comes to standardized tests. And I say that with ACTs and SATs. I know people right. who were four, you know, four point students did great. Yep just didn't score well in ACT and, and yep. you know, ACT, ACT and SAT. And they had to take remedial classes in college yep. to start off because of that, even though their GPAs were high as I don't know what. I'm like, <laughs> how was that? And they got people who had low GPAs, but scored high on the test and they got scholarships. You're like, how is this, you know, <laughs> you know make it make, make sense. You know, <laughs> again, it's based off of the test, the standardized test. So it was like, you know, you got your one shot you and you keep, you do good. You, Set yourself up. I, I I've had to I've had to teach students how I, I, I taught them how to play the game. You know, um, being an educator, I taught my sons how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin and Naaman, and I tell any student who wants to hear it, I'll say, okay, you know, the the best way to get what you want out of out of a school as far as the money for colleges, you got to get that ACT score right, and you got to maintain it. Excuse me, they gotta, you got to maintain a, a good GPA. But get that ACT score right. Um, I said, hot and they say, well, how do I do that? Can I study for it? Whatever. You really can't study for the ACT. What you got to do is you got to study how to take the test. Yeah. It, it has nothing to do with the knowledge base that you have. You got to learn how to take the test. Um, the, the, the quicker you have, the quicker you can read, the faster you answer a question with, with some level of logic, the better you'll do. And, in, and and I know some kids that have gotten like 32s on ACT, but they have zero common sense whatsoever. Wasn't good students. They're good test takers, like you said. I did not do well on ACT when I took it. I got a 16. I took it again, got a 17. I didn't do well because I, I wasn't a good test taker. No one taught me how to take the test. Because I thought if, if the ACT really wants to show you what you know, it should have... We should be teaching a class on the information that the ACT will have on it. Right. But it doesn't work that way. So the stuff I teach on biology is not on the ACT, period. No. So it makes you wonder, why do we, why do we teach biology? Right. <laughs> so it's not on that. It's not on the tendency ready. It's not on any of that stuff. You know, so it is not. And that, that again, is like, so what are we, what are we really trying to prepare our kids for? You know, what, what are we going, are we just glorify babysitting the kids just to say they're going to school, they're doing this, but we're not really preparing um, them for what they need. Uh, there's some preparation there. If, if the, the thing about education that I had to learn about, uh, the thing about being a student and a teacher, I had to learn about the hard way. And I teach it to my students. I said, uh, being in school is not know so much as, as, as how much information you can get. Because you do need to get that information. Learning skills, reading skills, math skills. It is, can you take this information you've gotten and go all the way through and finish what you started? Can you go from kindergarten to 12th grade, do well enough to say you know this material and finish? Can you do that? If you can't, then any, everything you Everything you do will always have that. I don't know if I can finish. You know, 
um, you may have that that uh, that that quit mentality, and that and that's not not something I teach. I preach that at work all the time. Like you got don't don't quit. Quitting is not an option because testing can really uh, dishearten you. It, it really can. Um, it's demoralizing. Let's say you take an ACT, you get a fifteen. Well, you know the college that you want to want to go to takes you at a twenty-three. You look at the numbers. You're not dumb. You'll say 15 to 23, man, there's no shot. So why should I even do it? Yeah, and it, and it see, does become discouraging. It, it does. And that's not what it's supposed to do. It's not what it should do. Right. Um, ACTs, I, I'm not going to go into the whole bias and, and race stuff, right. but it was, it, you, well, you know, you know how to, it's, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so, I, I, and I it hasn't changed. Know. No, it I, hasn't I changed. It hasn't. <laughs> I know it has. I mean, just like my, you know, my my 15 year old, you know, he's a 10th grader trade. He took the he took the PS, PSAT and then he just took the ACT for the first time. And, you know, he was just like, he's like, I don't even know where they got a lot of this stuff from. I haven't learned any of this stuff. I don't know. You know, I told him, I said, what we want you to do is take it early so you can see what the test is like. And then mm-hmm. we work, we're going to work on, you know, preparation for, like you said, it, it, it is a method to it. It's not about what you know is how to take it. And one of the things I've been hearing about, you know, just sidetrack is people are talking about, you know, if you if you get your kids into speed reading courses, it actually that will help you. On it does. Taking, you know, these standardized tests. Like, Isn't that crazy? Isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah. You're like speed crazy. reading. It's like, oh. <laughs> I wish I would have known that. I mean, I did pretty good on my ACT. It wasn't bad. I got like a 23, I think, but I took it a couple of times. But if I would have known that, I could have been like, you know, getting a 30 or something and getting all kinds of scholarships to school. Like just take speed reading. You know, I was taking, I had the little books and everything that, you, that everybody yep. had and, yep. you know, studying that for, you know, weeks and weeks at a time and, you know, wrecking my brain. And it still didn't make a huge difference. But Rick, think about this. How many parents don't know this stuff, especially those of African-American descent? How many do not know this? There's a lot. I, I know. Right. Right. And so, therefore, if you look at the, the, the stats, when I looked at the stats at my school, the lowest AT, ACT scores are coming from African-American male students. African-American male students are getting the lowest scores. The highest scores come from, uh, if I remember right, it's uh, Asian, and I'm not trying to be joking, but we don't have that I mean, many. Got, this is data. I mean, it's data behind it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Asians, uh, white uh, females, um, uh, white males, Hispanics. Uh, Hispanics and African Americans are pretty much even, but for different reasons. Yeah. So, um, and I'm like, wow, man, this stuff has not changed. And because we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Knowledge so, is power. Man, it, it makes a difference, man. I told my son how to take the test. He said, you know, this stuff's not there. And we know it's not there. I said, don't. Going to high school and trying to learn how to take an ACT from the high school courses is useless. You have to learn how to take the test. And I mean, They actually why. have a, yeah, they have a, have a class at, at Laverne. It's called ACT prep. It's a class that you take. Just to focus Just to on take it. Yeah, that's all to do. Yeah, and I've seen, I mean, there, there's a lot of companies who have popped up, too, that offer, like, online courses or things like that. Yep. And the, the whole thing is to learn how to take standardized tests, the SAT, ACT, you know, prep for that. 
Um, and it was interesting because during the pandemic, or at least the, the first part of it, you know, some schools were bypassing the SAT and ACT mm-hmm. uh, just because obviously, you know, you couldn't get into a classroom and take the test because of shutdowns and they didn't have it set up online, which I have a feeling they're going to figure out a way to do it online. Um, Eventually. Is, yeah. I mean, it, well, there's already the technology there. I've seen it for certain certifications for like, uh, real estate licenses or insurances and things like that. They actually can take them now in on at home and they, they use your camera. They take over your computer. You can't, you know, you can't pull up browsers and stuff like that. So <laughs> there's ways to do it now. It's just, you know, are the school systems going to invest? And, you know, obviously when we talked about with the pandemic situation and how it's shifted things, you know, it's done it in business as well, you know, in corporate America, because a lot of people start going, they were working at home. They had different flexibility. Um, they were like, you know, the companies are like, okay, now it's okay to come back into the building. They're like, I don't want to go back. I'm looking for remote jobs. I want to be at home. Or yep. I want to have that flexibility and teachers. Yep. I know felt the same way for a lot of like, I really don't want to be around some of these snotty nosed kids all day. You know? <laughs> yeah. The, parent, the, parent, uh, the parents were like, get rid of them. Yeah. Go, go, please. Get out of here. People <laughs> you know, were like, no, we kind of like this being at home thing and, and teaching the ones that could. I know some schools, they made you come, they made the, the teachers come into the school to do the, the virtual lessons and, but nobody was there. I'm like, what sense does that make? You know, <laughs> technology is going to be the same, you know, unless you have an environment that's that is distractive and you can't really do anything. That's different. But that's 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 just called control, man. Sometimes yeah. it's just like, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna get off with this part of it. I, I definitely want to take some time because I can go into education. I know you can go in and, and oh man, I, I can blow your mind the stuff I know, man. And, and I may I'm, I'm probably gonna have you come back on here because I, I definitely want to deep dive a little bit more into you know just education as a whole because it's just it's always interesting to me. It's like a double edged sword, and you hear it, it's a big hypocrisy. Honestly, it's like. <laughs> We love teachers. We, we they're the most important thing, but then you know we're not setting them up to be successful, which is not setting our kids up. So I'm going to move on because I want to talk about your book. <laughs> um, well, so thank you. Your, your book is called "In My Father's Image: Living Your Best Life Through the Word of God," and you have it there. I will have mine on Friday. Um, what inspired you to first become an author? Not just write the book, but just to be an author. What inspired you to do that? Rick, I had no intention of publishing this book. Okay. <laughs> I had no intentions. It was a way for me to heal. Uh, I had a lot of anger over the years. Um, so you may not know, but my father um, and my father and my mom divorced uh, when I was about eight years old. And um, the, the, well, they, they really split up when I was about eight, but the, 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 Divorce was finalized when I was 12, but he wasn't in the house during that he time. He was already, frame. yeah, he was already. Yeah, he was, he was already gone. And uh, now he was all, he was there for my brothers, both my older brothers, but my sister and I was kind of lost in the lurch, you know, left in the lurch. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he would come sometimes, come visit me. Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he would take us out. Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he would say he'll be there, but then he wouldn't show up. You know, the, the, the same stuff you hear from other, you know, situations such, such as mine. Right. And um, and uh, I was when I had my son, uh, Martin, my, my firstborn, I was terrified because I didn't really know what it meant to be a father. 
because I didn't really have a good one. And so I started writing this book to help me heal so I can know how to deal with him. And, um, uh, and as I started putting pen to paper, and it took years to write it, man, I, I was writing it for, it's not even a thick book. There's just a lot of stuff I had to get out. Yeah. And um, um, I put it kind of as a memoir, really. And my, my wife asked me, she said, when are you going to publish this? And I was like, what, please? I'm not publishing this. I'm not, I don't want to put that out there. I don't, want, I don't want nobody to know this happened. I don't want to make my dad seem like he's a bad guy. I don't, want, I don't want any of that. And so years, and she would keep reminding me, when are you going to publish this? When are you going to publish this? When are you going to publish this? And, uh, and then I, uh, I ran into uh, Sister Griffith, and she, uh, I told her, you know, she had published her first book. And, um, and I was like, hey, I have something. I'm not sure if it's worth publishing, but I want you to take a look at it. And she's like, you know, I can help you publish this. She she read the the uh, the uh, the uh, the rough draft. Uh, it was a lot of just <laughs> I was just venting. Yeah. And she said, you may have something here. And so I had to take some stuff out, of course, to make it more publishable and whatnot. But the essence of what I had to say is still there. And um, I had no intentions of of doing it. It was a way for me to heal. Uh, and a way like for me a, to go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was just a way for me to heal, man, and 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 get all this stuff out that I had since I was a young man. Um, you know, when you, when you don't have your dad around, man, it's 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 not an easy thing. And people don't. Some people don't understand it. They'll say, you know, you know, you had your brothers or whatnot, your uncles, but it's nothing like my dad. Yeah. So when my, you know, when he he, uh, my dad, he he didn't show up my graduations. Uh, wow. So I didn't wow. graduate. He didn't show me my graduation in the high school. He wasn't there. He said he was there, but I never saw him. Um, my undergrad, he wasn't there. He said he was there, but I never saw him. Um, my master's, he he's uh, he wasn't there. And my doctorate, he came to the house. He went to my son's graduation, but he couldn't stay for mine, which I was fine with at that point. By that point, I'm like, you know, I'm okay, but I'm glad you came. You know, he couldn't stay and he left. What he said, I'm proud of me. But you felt but, his, you saw his presence. His presence I, I was did. there that time. So <laughs> yes, yes. Saying I was there, you know, but I, you didn't <laughs> see me, you know. So. so, yeah, that was the way I had to, man. I had to heal, man. I, I didn't realize how much that affected me, Rick. I really didn't. Um, you know, we both had the same man of God. And I really couldn't even see him as my as my spiritual father because I wasn't trying to hear what he had to say sometimes. Yeah, like, I, he, he's talked about that. I mean, you guys have been open, you know, about yeah. just that whole dynamic, which is, you know, which I get. And I, I think from your perspective, it sounds like the original intention, tensions for the original intent for the book was it was not really a book, but just a diary of you just getting your thoughts on paper. Yep. Uh, but sometimes that's some of the best work, you know, raw emotion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously you said you had to clean it up a little bit to make it more palatable for, for some <laughs> folks. But um, I, I can, you know, I can definitely appreciate that because I mean, you know, I, I grew up, I was fortunate enough to grow up with my father in my life. And I know the power of having him even today, you know, in my life, you know, just when he comes to visit, just when he's around the kids, it, it's a different mindset in our society. We've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, it's almost like fathers aren't important. Um, no, they are important. No, they are. As I say, when you when you when you <laughs> talk to when I talk to someone in your position and you know in your situation, you hear it, you know, and 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 I'm guessing that's where 
this book is really going to lead a lot of lead readers through just understanding what that is, but understanding, you know, my father as in God, the father. Yes. I, I will say this. There's a part in my, in my book that uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to just kind of read this to you. Please do. Bit. Please and, do. If, and if I get, if I get emotional, forgive me. Okay. No, no please. Um, do. So um, take your time. My man. granddad, my granddad, my granddad, um, he was a man's man. Mm-hmm. And when my, when my dad left, my granddad always checked on me. And is this um, your mom's dad or your my mom's dad? Yes. Oh, I never okay. met my great, my dad, my dad's dad. He already passed away before I was born. Okay. Okay. And, um, my granddad, um, he would ask me, you know, you know, how am I doing? Um, you know, he, 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 he would always say, you know, Hey, it didn't work out with your mama and your daddy, but he still loves you. You know, he, he, he wanted to always have me connected to my dad, but my, my, uh, I mean, um, when he, when he passed um, a few years back, uh, it, 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 it took me to being that eight-year-old boy again. Having that man, that, that male figure, somebody that close in your life. He was gone, you know, and I, I didn't know how to handle that, man. And so, uh, man, <laughs> sorry. Hey, no, this is raw. I mean, look, look, um, you don't have to apologize. <laughs> so he was... I mean, he he you know, he was gone, and I you know I'm like, who do I have now? You know, I always had him, but I didn't know you know who who did I have? You know, mm-hmm. and um, so I published the book after he died, and because um, I, I I didn't want anybody to really see this book at first, but I finally published it after him, and I I wrote this um, uh, to my you know uh, dedications and um. And so one of the things is I I I I I uh, I, I said you know to my grandparents Algie and Wilma Patrick y'all show me what a loving marriage and family can and should be. My my granddad was um was a man of God. He was a man that meant what he said. He said what he meant, and he loved his family unconditionally. Now he was a hard man, but he was a good man, and that's all I wanted to be. Is yeah. I didn't want to be a because I, I am kind of hard sometimes. I understand that, but I, I get that honest. But I always wanted to be a good man. And um and you know, it just him, you know, him dying just I didn't know, you know, when you have somebody that close to you, you don't think they ever die. You know, you don't think about that. And uh so it actually when publishing this, it helped me to to heal from that too, you know. Um I, I went to a to a a, a space of a uh, of slight depression, man, when my when my granddad passed, because you know I I mean I still always had him, yeah. you know. You he was somebody uh, to lean on. You've got you know things to talk about as a man, you know that you can only talk to another man about. You know you had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know what's funny? Um, he had he died of a he died of a cancer. He had a, a um. I forget which exactly which kind of cancer. It'll, it'll come to me. Prostate. He died of prostate cancer. And um, but even when he was going through uh, uh, that that whole ordeal, losing weight and all the rest of that stuff, he was still as sharp as he as he always was. And he was he would walk around in a, in a, in a little scooter thing because he couldn't really walk well. So he had a little scooter thing he was going with. And then until he got into a wheelchair, and uh, he asked me three things: one, am I working? 
because he like a man don't work, don't eat. That's just his thing. Yes, sir. <laughs> Two, am I taking care of my family? And I will always say, yes, sir. He said, three, you still loving God. I said, I sure am. Those are the three things. He said, if you keep God first, you'll be fine. Everything will work out. And that was, and for he, when he, uh, I, I, I wish he got a chance to see me graduate uh, with my doctorate because he always thought I would do something like that when I didn't think I could do it myself. You know? He saw it. He saw it for sure. Yeah. He definitely saw so, it. Well, you, yeah, know what? you know, I can say knowing you and being around you, you definitely embody what he taught. Thank you. Um, seeing you with, especially seeing with the boys, you know, you are, I see the sternness, like you said, your grandfather was, but I also <laughs> see the loving, like, okay, I may be hard on you, but this is why, you know, mm-hmm. I may be like this, but let me bring you on. Even, you know, when I see them and, you know, for those that don't know me and Dr. Mar- Dr. Martin are both deacons at church. And so there's different things that we, that we do. And, you know, one of the things I admired about you is that you bring your boys on the assignment to do things, you know, they're like, Hey, are we busting down tables. Y'all, y'all busting down tables too, you know, <laughs> you know, y'all, y'all, y'all are part of this process, you know? So, you know, but, but I, I see you teaching them, you know, give, having teachable moments and having those experiences, but you know, I think at the same time, they, they, you know, sometimes as kids, you know, we don't appreciate things until we get older and we start doing our own thing, you know, and I felt like that with my father it was like, now I see, you know, our conversations are different now, you know, and I'm sure with your grandfather, as you got older and was building the family, you had different conversations with him, like, you know, because you started really understanding what he was telling you because you're experiencing it more now, you know, you may not have got it in the beginning, but you started oh, getting it later on. Yeah, he he. All right. So there was a <laughs> there was a moment where, uh, you know, when you're young, uh, you're kind of impetuous. And, and uh, uh, I had to work on a farm with him uh, one summer. My mom dropped me off in Halls, Tennessee. It's about, uh, about an hour outside of Memphis. Okay. And she took me and my sister and went to Halls and I had to go to the farm with him. And uh, man, he got up like, man. I mean, early in the morning, man, early in the morning, sun not quite out. And I had to go out of a farm with him and I had to cut the yard and all. And man, I thought my mama sent me to slavery. I was like, man, come <laughs> on. You know, the mosquitoes are eating me alive. I'm like, what did I do wrong? You know, what did I do wrong at home for you to send me here? Mm. And uh, and the only time I got to go out and play, I got to go out and play and play basketball with some friends, you know, that was in the na- neighborhood that I knew coming to halls from time to time. Mm-hmm. But um, and you know I, I don't know if you I know you know the story uh, the the whole saying when you keep coming in and out of the house like you can't come in and out of the house you stay in or go out yeah, and so <laughs> so he he put a uh, my aunt put a uh, cooler outside for me to to because I can't come and kept coming in and out of the house because it was so hot right but my, but my granddaddy man um, he had me working with him and he and uh, <laughs> he paid me to do it. <laughs> wasn't much <laughs> it wasn't nothing man he gave me i don't remember like ten dollars or something wow. <laughs> so, it wasn't much man he, he didn't get how no money. old were you <laughs> i don't know about 12 12 <laughs> yeah. 13 yeah somewhere around you're there doing a whole lot you go to the store and get you some <laughs> chips and a drink and some a snickers or something yeah. that's about it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he did but i re- but the reason why i brought this so is because he really he really didn't do it to show me to pay me he, he 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 did that to show me the importance of hard work, work ethic, and yeah. uh yeah that work ethic man that kick that kicked in with me man so um so that's why I do that with my sons I tell my sons if you see a man working 
uh, if you can send your power to help them, help them. Mm-hmm. Don't just see a man working if you can't, if, you know, like if I'm busting down tables, why are you sitting there? <laughs> so, no, that, or fine. So, but it's funny, just, my, but you see people who don't, who uh, males, you know, who, who haven't had that kind of exposure or experience and they'll sit around chilling and watching you doing stuff and they won't <laughs> even jump in and help. Like, man, but you know, people, some people just raise differently, you know, and, and yes, they were. That, that is that is part of the generational differences that we see now. You know, I, th- I think we try to we try to keep certain things going and, and, and I don't see anything wrong with traditional. My wife and I talk about that all the time. Like there are certain situations where, where we are. We seem to be very traditional and, and not forward thinking because we're like, no, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. These are, you know, hard work. You're going to learn how to take the trash out and do stuff, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that you should be doing versus, you know, I'm doing it all the time. And, you know, or she's having to do it. I told my, you know, my son, like, you know, he knows how to open the door for his mom. And like, if you with her and she got to yep. get gas, you better be out there pumping that gas, you know? <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I, I again, that's just one of those things. I, I I can't stand seeing a man or a young boy that's sitting in the car, his mom out there in the cold pumping gas or in the heat pumping gas, and they sitting there chilling on their phone. I'm like, and I've seen grown men doing it. I'm like, why is that? I don't care if it's not your car. You still get your butt out there pumping gas. But I get frustrated. But then I got to understand everybody hasn't been taught those things how to be a man. So you know. I, I, let me, let me think let me, it's green, but it's not. <laughs> no, no, it is not. You know, uh, uh, when I started writing this, when I started writing this, one of the things I said is um, that fathers, uh, uh, I said mothers are valuable, but fathers are invaluable. Mm-hmm. All right. So we, we as men have to show our sons and our daughters what a good man is or mm-hmm. else it's going to be trial and error. Right. You know, um, you have daughters. I don't have any daughters, but I've always told my sons, you're going to marry someone else's daughter one day and you're you're you need to treat her as i treated your mom you know they they know i love her they know that there's no question that i love her and everything that we do you know we show affectionate we show affection in front of them open the door for her we hold hands in public all that kind of stuff that that you know that may be seen as cheesy sometimes uh because some some men think you know and that's in my book as well. The, the more the more notches you got on your belt, the more of a man you are. You know, more the more chicks you got, the more of a man you are. The more money you got, the more of a man you are. Uh, and that's not that's far from the truth. You know, uh, uh, Minister Martin said once, he said there's a difference between boyhood and manhood. And so um, you can be, you know, you can be a grown man, but still be in boyhood. You, you never you've never grown up. You know, and we got a lot of that, man. I saw I saw this cat, uh, this older, this older gentleman, man, sagging, man. He had to be around 38. I'm like, yo. Bro, I, that. And I know because they I, my I, age. I'm that. Like, I was I've in that. <laughs> man, look. You know, and again, <laughs> I, I try, I look, and I, I always had this look of like, and I have to snap back, like, I don't know what their background <laughs> is, but I know I'm like, look, I know they older than me. You know, I'm like, I'm 43. I know these jokers are older than me. And they, and it's, it's the, but it's some of it that says culture, whatever the case may be. Well, you're not going to disagree on that. No, well, I, I, I don't agree with it. I'm just saying, no, 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 I'm not agreeing with it. I, to okay. me, I'm like, come on now. At some point, you got to, 
you know, you got to grow up. But it's, it, but I see it all the time. You got these 50, 60-year-old players who are alone and they looking at themselves. They got money and everything else with nobody to really share it with, you know. That's right. So, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's very important to understand the role of a, of a father. Um, oh, yeah. And, and so in your book, it sounds like you, you're you also, you know, really focusing on you talking about, you know, like the role of your grandfather that you that he had in your life, not having your your biological father there, you know, throughout. But then it seems like there is a transition in the you you seeing God as that 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 person, that, that thing that, that, that was missing, you know, for you. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first came to living truth, um, well, I've always been in church, but I, I haven't always been, let me, let me change that. I, I've been churched all mm-hmm. my life. My mom always took us to church. Right. Um, but there was, and I went to Bible study, you know, the old little small pamphlets they used to have with the yeah. little black people on the front. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, we had all that and, okay. uh, we had, I had to be in, you know, children's choir. So I, I've done all that and I've been in church pretty much all my life, but I didn't understand purpose. I didn't understand what the word meant to me. I knew the Bible was important, but I didn't know. I didn't really see myself in it. You know what I'm saying? And so when I when I uh, went to MTSU, went to the Baptist Student Union, there was more of an understanding of what the Bible was to me and what it and how how to how how the uh, uh, and what and what the word is supposed to mean to me. But it wasn't until I met Apostle uh, that that it under it started making sense to me in a practical way what the word is supposed to do. And then when I started reading the word and I started seeing myself in it, I saw how much God loved me. Uh, and, you know, we all seen the scriptures for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, you know that scripture. I but I just see myself in that. Mm-hmm. And I said, God loved me so much that he gave his precious just for me. And I'm like, man, I'm like, man, I'm not worth it. And I, and I had a whole different view of it. I was like, wow. And so when he when he showed me what the word really was, um, my mom and everyone saw just an immediate change. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't even, it wasn't a slow change. It was an immediate change because I was just engulfed in it. And I wanted to know more. I wanted to know more. And I finally started seeing God as my father and not God as this being that, although he created, right, yeah. untouchable, unattainable, uh, that, that he created everything, but it was never personal. You know, I'm just, I'm just a guy here on earth that God created, but he didn't really, you know, he cared about his, his people. He cared about his children, but not. To the point where I can come to him and call him Abba Father. You know, I didn't know what that stuff meant. Yeah. But then when I, I started getting an understanding of it, I started seeing God as my father and how much he loved me. And that's when I said that hole that my dad left me, um, left, can be filled with God the Father. And, and that's what really started the, the healing process. And I'm like, you know, even if my dad never came to another graduation, I know God is with me. If he didn't celebrate another time with me, I know God is with me. Um, uh, he was at, you know, he, my, my dad, my biological father, um, he told me once, and it meant a lot to me. He, he told me this. He said, I don't know where you're getting all this stuff from. I don't know where you're getting this love for God from. I don't know how you became the man you are. Because you said, he said, you didn't get any of that from me. You are a much better man than me. Keep it up because I love you. And I was that's like, big. you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's big for because. You know, 
a lot of people get into those situations and, you know, they, they don't want to admit stuff like that, you know, because it, it, it's, it's humbling. It's like, wow, he, he thrived and I wasn't even a part of this. I had nothing to do with this. And, and but he acknowledged that and was like, you know, to say I'm proud of you. I know that probably meant more to you than he probably even knew what it meant at that time. It, it did. And uh, um, that was actually not too long ago, really. Um, uh, he, he still has his, we still have our moments and whatnot, but that's just people being people. Right. And, um, but, but I, it, it, it helped me to, to see him for who he was that I still love him because if it wasn't him, I wouldn't be in this world. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, I had to forgive him. I had to still love him and respect him as my father. Um, but, but, I, but I, yes, yes. And it took my brother, that took a while to get to that point. Yeah. Um, because I, at a certain point in my life, when he would call, I just look at him like, ah, and move on. Right. You know, like I ain't eh, you know, for what? <laughs> so what you calling me for? What? For what? And so I had to I had to learn how to heal from all that. And Apostle even told me once, he said, man, you can't be like that. You know, you can't be like that. And I was like, man, please, <laughs> you don't know this man. <laughs> so, you know, but he, you know, the interesting thing about him is him and his transparency. He's experienced the same thing. Right. Yes. So, you know, that that's, again, something else that you can can take with the the lessons that he's teaching. While it's practical, it is some of the same same experiences that that he's had. So, you know, he's talking he knows what he's talking about. You know, everybody's going to have different emotions and process things differently. But yeah, what he's what 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 you're saying and what he's saying and what, you know, people in this situation who find God and understand their relationship with God. Cause I think when we, when you mentioned earlier, you know, you did all the ceremonies and exercises and everything that came with church when you were younger, but the one thing that was missing was that relationship. And that's, that's one of the things I think apostle really teaches is that relationship, because when you have that, all the other religion and all the other stuff doesn't really matter. It's your it relationship with, with him. And that's where your need is met. So you can begin healing and then you can honor your father, forgive him, honor him, you know, because you don't know what he experienced as a child, you know, or what things may have happened to lead him to be the person that he wound up being, you know, during those times. You know, you're right. I don't. I mean, he never really talked about it. He always said that his mom was a hard person and whatnot. And there was he was she was a very a a, a very much an affectionate woman. Mm -hmm. And so I, 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 I get that. Um, but and, you know, when you're a kid, you don't yeah. really you know, oh, yeah. care. You don't, you don't care. You know, like, no. you know, you're supposed to be my dad. You know, um, you know, I had to, I had to repent uh, to some of my, some of my uh, brothers at the church or whatnot because they would, they would talk about, you know, how their dad was important to them and all the rest of that. And man, when they'll talk about that, man, I had godly jealousy, man. And I was like, man, yo, I, I don't know, I don't even know what that feels like. You know, uh, I don't know what that feels like. I don't. You know, I was like, I don't I don't know how to relate to that, you know, until I, you know, and because the healing process takes a while, you know, it, it does. And there are scars that kids get when they're younger that all they do is, is a Band-Aid thing. And, and every and there are little things that happen that rips that Band-Aid off and that that wound opens up all over again. Yeah. And, and it happens over and over again until you you really get healed. Through the through through God the Father to really be healed, you know, and um, there was a, there was a, there was a situation that happened in my life, um, and again I'm already already published this book. My dad uh, he had moved away, um, he he moved away to uh to South Carolina, and um, 
he told all my siblings, but he didn't tell me. He just disappeared. And uh, and it again brought me all the way back to the eight year old boy yeah. who didn't know where his father was. And now my dad, my my the man who had who I leaned on was gone. My my grandfather and my dad didn't have the wherewithal to call me and say, "Hey, I'm moving," and just disappeared. And so my brother called me and said, "Hey, you know, dad's gone. He moved to Carolina." And I was like, "I said he didn't say bye." And uh, and so. Again, it brought me back all over again. Yeah. And I was like, I'm like, man, when am I going to hear from this? You know, and, uh, you know, I, I when, when my, my wife, uh, God bless her, my wife is awesome. She she talked to my dad and said, you don't understand how much you hurt him when you do that. And he was like, you know, he's all right. He's a grown man. She said, but you're his father and you're yeah. always going to be his father. And he wants your approval. He said, yeah. you've got to stop doing that. And so after that, man, uh, and that was, see, that was around four or five years ago, I guess. And uh, well, I don't know, I guess it's sooner than that. It was sooner than that. And he, you know, we, we talked about that. And he said, I didn't know you felt that way. Of course, I was like, come on, man. <laughs> you you, you on. wanted him to know it, but he didn't know it. And, but you weren't verbalizing that, were you? To him, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I mean, I kind of figured that it'd be common for a man to know his son was missing, regardless of how old he is. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And and that was, that was I guess it was that was some fault on both of our sides. And you know, we we talked and whatnot, and we were in a good we in a good space. But man, those those are some moments, man. That when when I see young men at my school or whatever that don't have fathers, and I have a lot of them, mm-hmm. white, black, Hispanic, man, there's a lot of them. Yeah. And when I talk to these young men, you know, I'm like, man, look. You got to be better, be better than your dad was because he would, that's what he would want for you. He wants you to be better. Even if you don't ever vocalize it, he wants you to be better. Of course, man, it's hard to get through some of that pain though. Yeah. Because pain builds, pain builds walls. It does. And when you just suppress a lot of the emotions, I think that for you is being able to get it out and start the healing process. Like you said, you, you had to repent. You said you repented to folks at, you know, brothers at the church because of mm-hmm. their experience and having, you know, godly jealousy over it. But for you to admit that that's part of the healing, you know, like I do feel that I, I acknowledge that I felt this way. I acknowledge that, you know, these things or these emotions are in me. And sometimes that's the start of the healing process, because if you're not going to acknowledge it, you're not going to accept that this is where it is. I'm hurt saying I'm hurt, you know, your dad knowing or you telling your dad, you know, or your or, or your wife telling your dad like this hurts. You know, this hurts him. This hurts your son when you do this. And he's like, well, I didn't realize it hurts you. You know, and you assume like he should know. But just like how, how we are, you know, guys are we like, man, he, he should know, you know, and then just leave it at that. <laughs> and once And then once he knows, he's like, OK. I got to look at this because I, I think from his perspective, he's probably looking at, I, I may still have an opportunity to salvage some relationship and I know how he feels. He's probably like, he's been thriving without me. So why does he care? You know, and you're mm-hmm. like, but you're my dad, you know, I, I, I need to, I want to know this. I want you to still be a part of my life. So right. that's what a good wife would do. You know, they, they like, look, I'm going to protect mine. I'm going to make sure they understand. Cause you know, guys can be done with some of that stuff. And like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't do well with emotion, man. You know, yeah. I'm not that emotional person. Yeah. My wife, man, she, she bounces that out. 
<laughs> so yeah, like, look, all that tough stuff, like I, she sees the hurt and she's like, I don't want that hurt to keep lingering because it not only impacts, you know, y'all, the relationship with your dad and you, it, but it's impacting the marriage and impacts your relationship with your sons. It, it, it has a lingering effect. So it did actually. Um, it did, man. Um, uh, my, my oldest son, uh, Martin and I didn't have, we had a very rough uh, beginning of our relationship when he started becoming a teenager. And I thought it was just teenage angst. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we was, he, I'll, I'll never forget this. Uh, he was around 12 years old and I was fussing at him about something. And he said, uh, and I'm not going to get emotional this time. He said, dad, do you even like me? And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and so I was like, I, of course I like you. You're my son. He's like, then why are you always yelling at me? And I was like, man, I, I, I didn't know I was doing that. I thought yeah. I was being a good parent, you know, trying to keep him from making mistakes. Over again, because as they changed, I had to adjust. I didn't know what that, I didn't know how to do that. You know, again, my dad wasn't in the house to tell me how to do that. My grandfather was just, you know, my way or the highway kind of man. So I didn't know what that meant. So yeah. I, I had to figure that one out. Like, how do I figure, th- how do, what do I do? Cause I don't want to isolate my son. I don't want to sever the relationship because I need him to be able to come to me and be okay to come to me. Yeah. And, and so, I've, I've had that moment too with, with especially Trey, you know, he's 15, wow. going 16. And, you know, it was, it was one of those things where my wife had to sit me down and say, look, you need to quit being so hard on him because my thing is, I, I guess it was always I had this thing of I expect great things and I expect more from you. So I'm hard on you because of that, you know, because I expect you. I know you can do better, this, that and the other. And sometimes there's been times where it's just like I just give him a hug, you know, because he had a bad day or something. I just give him a hug. Don't even say anything. And he just breaks down and cries. And I'm like, I get it. You know, I, I have to have that moment. It can't just be, you know, because you always hear people like, oh, you got to be a man. You got to, you know, do this to your sons and, you know, make them tough and this, that and the other. And that's the worst thing that you can. I mean, that's the worst thing that you can do because you're telling them that you can't show emotion. You can't, you right. know, you can't feel, you know, any kind of pain. You just got to suck it up and keep moving. And that's why we have these generations of kids who don't know how to express themselves, you know, so. You're right. Well, you're right. I mean, it's it, they they express themselves violently. It's mm-hmm. it's an explosion. Right. You know, it's never a gradual. It's a zero to a hundred. You know, boom. You're like, whoa. <laughs> I just you know, I just told you to slow down. It's <laughs> just yeah. you know, don't run through the hallway. Yeah. Ah, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, yeah. so yeah, yeah. You're right, man. And um, and and man, it, it is it is so important for men to realize how how they affect uh, their children and the lineage. Um, so with me telling my kids that I'm wrong or when I, and I apologize to Martin because of who I, how I treated him, that, that showed him that I'm also making mistakes and I'm willing to say, I'm sorry, you know, and he was, and he cried, I cried, my wife crying. And yeah, we all, you know, hugging each other. And we're like, man, that's you healing. know, I mean, that, that that's healing. You know, and it's breaking cycles, you know, it's breaking cycles of things that you didn't have that opportunity to have to do that with your father. You know, I did not. You're creating now you're opening up the doors. Now you got your son. He's in college now, you know, so that's a different part of the relationship, you know, because now he's experiencing different things. He's a young adult now and and figuring that out. You know, same thing with my daughter. You know, I'm I'm. 
you know, the daddy daughter relationship is a little different. So I'm still <laughs> very protective, but you know, I, I got to learn to let things go and let her grow and, and all that good stuff. But, you know, our conversations change now. It's a little different, you know, it's, it's still, I still command my respect as a father and this, that, and the other, but you know, now it's, it's, it's just different because, you know, as you're, you're, you have to start learning how to make decisions on your own. You know, a lot of the stuff that we've been teaching you, this is where you have to put them into play. This is what college is about. It's kind of that, that bridge into adulthood. This is an opportunity for you to, to learn and grow so that hopefully we did what we needed to do. And you move out, you know, you get to your, your own space and understanding, you know, how to navigate through life. You know, we're still here. We're always right. going to be help guide you and, and, and give you advice or just be a sounding board, but, you know, it's getting to that next place, but that's where fathers, you know, can help. And, and I think, you know, that's what you're saying. Like, this is, this is the importance of a father. This is the importance of that relationship with, with God, the father, you know, it, it is, it is. And, and, um, and, and I, I know I, I can, I can feel time getting away from us, but it, I, I was looking at, um, there was a section that I that I wrote and um, that I love reading, and this I know it's my own book, but there's a section I love reading. And um, I don't know if you have you seen the movie uh, um, Gladiator with yeah. um, Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. All right, so there's a part in there where uh, where he's fighting th- through like these uh, this gauntlet of of guys to get to his main objective. You know, he's fighting. But so there's a part where uh, where the, the the king comes down and says, "I must see who you are." You know, I, I want to see who you are as, as, you know, the gladiator. So he turns around and takes off his helmet. And he says, you know, I'm Maximus, Desmus, Meridius, uh, uh, husband to a murdered wife, father to a murdered son. He said, and I will I will get my revenge, uh, my vengeance in this life or the next. And I thought it was the best line in the world. Yeah. Because I was like, he is willing to die for his family by any means necessary to, to die for his family, to get the, 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 the just desserts that he believed that they're due. And so when I saw that, I said, every man needs to be this way. You know, every way, every man needs to be this way to their family. Now, not taking vengeance against people, but have to work as, as hard as they can to ensure that the life of their family is the best possible godly lifestyle that they should be able to have. Whatever that, whatever it takes, you know, um, you, you, you know, if, if it's, if it's, um, going to school, then do it. If it's, you know, if it's, if you're working and trying to get your career going or your, your uh, business going and you got to stay up late, sometimes that's what you got to do. You got to have multiple streams of revenue, man, do that thing, whatever it takes to give them the life that they deserve. That's what you do. And so I, when I, when I think about that, man, every, every, uh, every brother that I've been connected to yourself, you know, uh, Chuck and other people, Gusson, um, I believe they embody that, you know, where their family is better because they're in it, not better because they're not. And and that's the way it's supposed to be. That the, the, the man, the, the chief prophet and king of the household is better because he's there. And as long as the king's in watch, on watch, the home is fine. You know, as long as he's following God the Father. And and God the Father's leading, then the home will be fine. And even the that's, legacy that's key. Fine. That's key that he's following the yep. king, the father, God the Father. I had to and, put that in. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. and that, that is that is a key a key thing. So no, I, I you know I appreciate you, Doctor Burgess. Uh, again, the book is In My Father's Image: Living Your Best Life Through the Word of God. 
Uh, if for those on YouTube, you can see it there. I'm putting, I'll have the link included. So please go get the book. Guys, it's $9.99. Go out there, buy the book. It is going to be worth Thank it. You. you know, you see the emotion that he has. So, you know, he's passionate about what he's talking about. Um, and I want to make sure it's important. You know, we talked about education, but we also talked about the importance of fathers. And, you know, that's one of the things that I'm very big on, uh, especially is just, you know, the role of a father and in, in, in not just a father, but just a man being in the family's life. So, you know, here's another example of how he overcame somebody who overcame not having his biological father there and going through life still being the best that he could and then healing through that process with his sons, with his family. You know, to me, this is this is really what we need to hear about. These these are the times, these are the situations that, you know, help us grow and, and lets us know that we're not defined by our past. We're not defined by the environments we grow up in. We can always break out and be better and we're supposed to be better. So, Dr. Burgess, again, I appreciate you, man. Uh, thank you so much for joining, man. Man, I enjoyed it, man. You can call me anytime, man. I had a good time and I appreciate you, brother, man. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate you. We're I, I'm going. We're going to talk a little bit more about this educational piece. I, I know we can sit on here for hours and talk about that, and I I, I didn't want to go too deep, but we, we will definitely. Uh, I, I will have another episode because I, I want to get you. Uh, I want to get uh, both Doctor Deems on here. You know, I got all these doctors that are in the you know either administration or in the, in the teaching side of the house, and I want to talk a little bit, have a deeper kind of. Uh, round table about education in, in the U.S. and, and you know, really just dig into a little bit more. We scratched the surface on it. And I, I talked a little bit about it with uh, with Dr. Deems when we talked about HBCUs, but I just want to really dig into education because I think that's a that's an important part of, of our growth and really from the kingdom perspective, what we're supposed to be taking it over. So it is. All right. Well, you know, I want to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, like I said, the, the book will be is available on Amazon. I'll have the link shared in the bio. Uh, also, we'll put it in the YouTube uh, description. So go out there and get it. Uh, Dr. Martin Burgess in my father's image, living your best life through the word of God. Remember, as kingdom citizens, you are required. You are supposed to live your best life possible because that is what's being that's what's being an heir. Um, and as an heir, you are created to flow, flow in everything that God has planned and purpose for your life. So flow on.